The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We shouldn't, as Democrats, be empowering the Republicans. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Dr. Fauci slashes the U.S. death projection, which has now raised hope. For a reopening. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 capping its best week since 1974 after the Federal Reserve acts. But are they acting too quickly? We put that question directly to House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, an exclusive interview, folks, what she's watching for in the economic stimulus and more geopolitical fallout, plus the latest on 2020. Day one, day one, complete day one. Of the 2020 general election. So much to get through. We're going to kick things off with my exclusive interview with House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. You do not want to miss that, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Coming up in the next hour, folks, President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence are going to have their daily coronavirus task force briefing. You can catch that right here on Bloomberg 99.1. The S&P 500 capping the best week since 1974. This upon news of the Federal Reserve acting. We have coming up uh, an exclusive interview with Calvin Schnoor, who's a senior economist at Navread. So we'll get all of the uh, impact on how the Fed has acted and, of course, the U.S. jobless claims, which continue to soar into the millions. Richard Fowler is going to join us, nationally syndicated radio show host, Democratic insider, and a Fox News contributor. And now, though, we want to begin with an exclusive interview that I did with House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. And I asked her about the next round of economic stimulus, as well as this notion of the Fed acting and the Fed acting and whether or not they're picking winners and losers. So take a listen to my exclusive interview with House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, the Democrat from California. Here it is. Chairwoman, thank you for making the time for us. What's the next step in the process in getting this aid to small businesses across the country? Well, thank you very much. Uh, Absolutely, there is a next step. Uh, We have Nancy Pelosi uh, that's busy uh, in negotiations uh, with uh, the Senate. Uh, You have Schumer, you have uh, uh, Pelosi, and uh, they're trying to work out their differences. As I understand it, uh, the Senate basically uh, tried to advance legislation or did advance legislation that clearly had the money, uh, the $250 billion dollars, but what it didn't have is how it exactly would be spent. And we have some ideas about what should happen with the money and the way that it should happen. And so that has to be worked out. And there will be continued negotiations until it is finalized because it is extraordinarily important uh, that, uh, you know, both the House and the Senate get together on this legislation so that we can pass it uh, without all of us having to come back to Washington, D.C. <laughs> 
So that's what I wanted to ask you procedurally then, as you look for the next round of economic stimulus package, as you fought very hard in the first round for there to be, for example, uh, more money for families in particular. Uh, What do you want to see, Chairwoman, in the next round of economic stimulus? Well, I would like to increase the amount of uh, money, payments, uh, that go to our constituents. Uh, As you know, it turned out to be $1,200 for adults uh, and $500 for uh, each child in the family. I started out uh, with $2,000 for each adult and $1,000 for each child. So I would like to see some improvement in that uh, simply because uh, it is so desperately needed. We have people who are losing their jobs, uh, uh, people who don't have unemployment insurance. We have folks that don't have any kind of cushion uh, and that they've got to put food on the table, gasoline in the cars to try and look for work, et cetera. And so yeah. I'd like to see more money uh, that goes to the families. I want to get into the weeds, but just from a timeline perspective, what is the timeline that you're hearing from Speaker Pelosi's office about when the next round of economic stimulus will likely be voted on? Well, first we have to concentrate on this supplemental and this emergency bill that we yeah. have that increases the amount of money that we're putting into what we call, uh, before we even get to CARES too, uh, because uh, the banks uh, are oversubscribed. Uh, with so many applications coming in for SBA, and the need is so great until we have to try and deal with this right away as soon as possible. And then we're continuing to work on what would be CARES 2 or the yeah. fourth package uh, of, uh, of uh, laws that we would like to make in order to deal with this uh, pandemic. Madam Chairwoman, you and I have talked about this before. Housing has been one of the key tenants of your uh, political career. And and one of the things that you've been advocating for is $100 billion worth of rental assistance and aid uh, in the next round of economic stimulus. You were fighting for this in in the proposal that you put out several weeks ago. How important is it uh, that rental assistance be granted in the next round of, uh, of economic stimulus? Extremely important. Uh, that we take care of this issue. What we're saying uh, to landlords is we don't want you to evict anybody. And so if you're federally assisted in some way, uh, like, you know, living in public housing or Section 8 uh, or some of the other programs that are federally assisted, okay, uh, they are taken care of. But who's not taken care of are yep. landlords who are not, these are private landlords, and they may be small landlords. They may be, have six, eight units or so. And so we can't ask them not to invict and don't tell them how they're going to get paid so they can pay the mortgage on the rent that they are, have and that they're renting out. So I'm fighting very hard for that. It is a right. must for the next piece of legislation, and I'll continue to be a strong advocate uh, for that. Chairwoman Waters, I just have two more questions and we're pressed for time. But uh, on the issue of the Federal Reserve, uh, in terms of oversight, are you concerned at all that they might be picking winners and losers? Well, we're going to watch the Federal Reserve very carefully. Uh, We know that they have uh, lifted the cap, the asset cap uh, for uh, Wells Fargo temporarily. Uh, We've got to dig down on the details of that. We did not intend for this uh, virus to allow for deregulation, deregulation, deregulation 
are the kind of efforts uh, that uh, certainly we have been advocating against. So while it is temporary and we understand the seriousness of all of this and the need to get money out and uh, the fact that they were complaining about the balance sheet and all of that, we will be doing oversight on this. We will be paying attention. We're not going to allow this to be misused uh, because uh, some changes want to be made by banks such as Wells Fargo, who certainly has been uh, responsible uh, for so much undermining of uh, consumer uh, laws. That was House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, Democrat from California, speaking with me earlier today on Bloomberg Television. And you can check out that entire interview on BloombergTV.com. It was interesting, quite honestly, to hear her talk about Wells Fargo because that has been such a focus, not just amongst progressives like Chairwoman Waters as well as Senator Elizabeth Warren and others, but also even with a certain streak in conservative politics, most notably her predecessor, former House Financial Services Committee Chairman Jeb Henserling. So the Fed opening up some of that liquidity and lifting some of the restrictions on Wells Fargo, but Chairwoman Waters there with a policy warning. Coming up, we dive into U.S. jobless claims. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Full disclosure here, folks. I've been cooking every day. I feel like my cooking skills have the one. There's not that many bright spots these days. But the one bright spot, I've been I've been baking, cooking every single day. So, I mean, I've got chili. I'm, I'm working from home like the rest of America. And I've got chili brewing on in the in the background. Enough about Cirilli Chili. Let's turn to now, unfortunately, some more disappointing news. Job, joblessness uh, and the total uh, number of Americans who filed for first-time unemployment claims last week, this according to the Department of Labor, 6.6 million. And this was just reported on Thursday. 6.6 million Americans filing first-time unemployment claims just last week. You go to the week before that, or over the past three weeks, more than 16 million. Million. It's really a tough, tough number to swallow. It's a tough number to comprehend. And that's why I'm so grateful to have Calvin Schnoor, who's a senior economist at Reed, to join us on the line. Uh, Calvin, thank you for being here. I, I wish that the news was, was a little more optimistic. Even as the health news indicates that we could be nearing a peak and as other countries have peaked and, and are slowly beginning to reopen because they've been following social distancing, these job numbers are just a tough, tough pill to swallow. That's right, Kevin. Today, today's number was just shockingly large. And the thing you need to keep in mind is the economic impact of these social distancing measures started right away, started as soon as we started the social distancing, and it's going to keep having an effect on businesses and on households and workers and everyone, uh, even after we start flattening the curve, because in order to flatten the curve, you need to keep the social distancing, which means you're not going to have the shops open, you're not going to have the workers, and we're just seeing you know massively large increases in unemployment right now. 
so Calvin Schnorr, who is senior economist at Nehru, how do we how long will this go on? I mean, will will the next week also project another more than six million jobless claims? Or ha- is there any data that that shows how long this trend will last as we are shut down? Oh, we have no idea. I, the thing I was looking for this morning uh, when the numbers came out was to see how much it changed from the previous week. Now, the previous week was revised up a bit, and it was basically you know, about the same, slightly lower. The previous week was revised up. Uh, we still don't know whether this can be a one-time surge that lasts for a couple of weeks uh, and then is done uh, or eases off. Uh, you, know, you might think that all the, the restaurants that shut down, they can only shut down once. Right. Uh, or is this going to be a series of rolling waves where other businesses that have been trying to hold on, trying to keep open and then continue to shut down, which would be a much more troubling scenario? Um, I think we're going to be somewhere in the middle of that, that we're going to have a couple of weeks of uh, these, you know, six million or more every week. And then it's going to ease off a bit, but it's certainly not going to go back to a low number for a while. So just hearing you talk about this, I mean, it is so unprecedented. In, in your time as an economist, typically you're able to gauge, right, some of the data flow, but the data, even on the health side, but from the economic side as well, the data has just been all over the map. And so I, I guess as we try to, to factor into this, I've seen some estimates saying that upwards of 20% unemployment could be uh, coming on the line. Uh, states like New York and California have just been so heavily hit by this. It, at some point, I mean, does it get does it does the pressure on uh, does the economic pressure become so great? The unemployment pressure becomes so great that the health professionals are going to have to 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 work with policymakers about potentially making tests so that parts of the economy could reopen. You know, everybody would like us to get back to work as quickly as possible, and we're seeing a lot of stories about. Uh, officials who are trying to figure out how to do that. But you have to keep in mind, you can't have a healthy economy if you don't have healthy workers. Um, even if, we, if, if we're premature in saying, let's ease these restrictions, and people go back when the infection is spreading very rapidly, we're just going to have a second round of this even worse. Um, my estimates are pretty similar with what you cited previously. We saw the unemployment rate go from 3.5% to 4. Point, in February to 4.4% in March. And right now it's rising about 3 percentage points a week. So um, April, May, we could easily hit 20% if we continue at this pace. Now, we don't know if those are going to be short-term and temporary or if they're going to be longer-term. We just know that we do need to get some type of support for the companies that are struggling and the workers that are struggling with this sudden loss of cash flow. So earlier today, Fed Chair Jay Powell uh, making more remarks. And what what did we get from Fed Chair Powell? What What is the Fed doing? Are they acting because Congress quite simply – there isn't enough trust in, in, a, in a divided Congress and in a polarized political time. So the Fed's, you know, stepping up to do what they have to do because Congress won't. Well, the Fed has a very different mandate than Congress. So Congress has its own agenda, and it is pursuing stimulus, and they're going to try to get the, the checks out there. They have a fiscal mandate where they can spend money, they can uh, give money, they raise taxes, and they spend money. The Fed uh, has a different mandate. They can lend. And that's really important right now because when you have a sudden shutoff of sales and sudden shutoff of cash flow, what many businesses need is some lending to tie them over. And what we saw today was the Fed announced details of their Main Street lending program that's going to be $600 billion of loans that they will finance 
to businesses with a lot of can I just interrupt here? The six hundred billion dollars in the Main Street Fed lending program—that is—that is not a part. That's six hundred billion dollars more than the two point three trillion that they, that Congress passed. Correct? That's right. Congress passed spending. The Fed has a number of different lending programs where yeah. they have this and they have other programs. The the uh, several other programs to get money into businesses on a loan lending basis. And so from that vantage point, I was talking about this with Chairwoman Waters earlier in the program, but there's this, this I don't want to say concern, but there's this conversation that is brewing beneath the surface of this, which is, is the Fed picking winners and losers? How do we know, how, what, what is the, when they're lending 600 plus billion dollars, how do we know who they're lending to? How do we know what that process is? Have they said how they're going to be transparent well, the Fed said that they were going to be lending to firms that were – I'm quickly scanning the report. They were essentially financially viable, and they did not specify what it is. They're going to be lending to firms that had a good business model beforehand. Now, there are going to be some judgment calls here, uh, but essentially they're trying to – uh, help firms that were, were managing the situation until this yeah. came out of the blue and knocked them off. All right. You are the best. Calvin Schnorr, senior economist at NAREIT, always breaks down all of the latest economic news for us. Stay healthy, my friend. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Coming up, more policy and politics. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Anybody see Lady Gaga on Morning Joe this morning? I had to do a double take. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. She's actually promoting, folks, the One World Together at Home. It's a global broadcast and digital special to support the frontline healthcare workers and the World Health Organization. It's going to air on virtually every network on Saturday night, April 18th. Uh, so it's everyone from Alanis Morissette, Billie Eilish, get this, John Legend, and uh, Lizzo, Stevie Wonder. Wow, they've got an all-star lineup. Lady Gaga, Gaga, Paul McCartney. They're all going to be performing. Uh, Chris Martin, I'm excited for Chris Martin, Coldplay. Something to do next Saturday. Uh, one World Together at Home. It's going to be one of those uh, massive concerts. Uh, you know, good. People should be coming together right now. Uh, I'm, the, joining us on the line is, is a good friend of the program, Richard Fowler. He's a Democratic strateg- uh, insider. He uh, is also a Fox News contributor and a nationally syndicated radio show host. Uh, Richard, thanks for joining us. I want to divide this segment into two portions, an economic portion and then a political portion. Let's start with the economics of this. So there's been good news on the health front as Dr. Fauci has sliced in half, really, some of the more horrific, scary projections, death projections. Now they're saying about 63,000 lives will be lost as a result of COVID-19. Stocks like that. They like that projection, and they also liked 
the estimates or, or I'm sorry, they like the policies coming from the central bank. I want to read from the Bloomberg terminal just for a second. U.S. stocks posted the biggest weekly gain since 1974 as investors looked past staggering jobless, staggering jobless numbers when the Federal Reserve released new measures to cushion the fallout from the coronavirus. Oil fell as investors saw a supply curb proposal as insufficient. The S&P 500 index rallied for the third time in four days, bringing this week's increase to 12%. Wow. Wow. Richard Fowler, you look at that, those, those numbers coming from Wall Street, and you hear the death projections, and already we're hearing, would it be possible to open reparts of the economy? Are you hearing that from Democrats as well? Uh, I'm hearing two things. I think what you're hearing from Democrats all across the ground and all across the country and on the ground is the stock market is doing well. But what happens to the local business? I think we have, what is it? I, I, I knew the number. I want to say it's three or 400 million restaurants all across, independent restaurants all across this country that represent $900 billion worth of American, contributing to the American economy. And a lot of these companies and a lot of these restaurants might not reopen. And I said, while it is good for Wall Street, the question of, is it good for Main Street business is the question, and that is what is still left unanswered, Kevin. Well, I think you just hit at the at the heart of the economic policy issue. You know, when we talk about economic stimulus and we get in the trillions of dollars worth, the last round was two point three trillion. Speaker Pelosi and you know the numbers that are being thrown out by both sides right now, upwards of another trillion dollars, hundreds of billions. It's hard to comprehend. I mean, these numbers are so large. It's hard to comprehend. Then you get Fed Chair Jay Powell today injecting even more confidence, uh, at least from a policy standpoint, $600 billion worth of lending, lending programs. Um, and I, I think to your point, the, the question is, is there going to be oversight? How do we get Washington as well as the central bank away from picking winners and losers and corruption? Are Democrats having or what are Democrats doing to protect against against that type of of uh, cronyism? Well, I think that's a great question. I think what we've what you've seen Democrats try to do is use the apparatus of the inspector generals. Right. I mean, what they tried to do in the first in the two trillion dollar bill was they try to install an inspector general to oversee the money that was being allocated by the Treasury Department. And much of these things have sort of changed because of White House proclamations or White House directives to the latter, uh, or to the to sort of the, to sort of take those things away. And I think that is one of the big things that Democrats are looking at. But I think Democrats are also focused on how. Remember, this is also an election year, right? So how are they talking to their voters? And the truth of the matter is, is this, Kevin? Nearly a third of Americans didn't pay rent this month. It's I right? know. So not only that's a real impact. Not only is that an impact on the person who's living in the home not paying rent. But that's also an impact to folks who run property management companies. I mean, just down the street from the Bloomberg headquarters in Alexandria, there is a building, a huge building, Southern Towers, 200,000 yeah. 2, units that was a potentially getting ready to go on a rent strike. And so there's real impacts that are happening in the micro economy that we are not that I'm not sure if the White House is paying attention to when you what? reopen the economy and these parts are still closed. You create a huge problem. Well, I, I mean, respectfully, I, I would say I think it's policymakers. I don't think it. I don't, I don't think it's either party. I, I think that there, there's a large. You know, we talked about it on this program in the past several weeks. I mean, I still go back to that one stat that I, you know, I always said growing up in Delco, my dad would always have one stat at the dinner table that he would say, "This is the stat of the day," and 
for me, it's the stat of the week. It's that McKinsey report. One-third of U.S. jobs are now vulnerable in the U.S. economy, and 80% of those one-third of jobs are low- and middle-income Americans. So right there, right there, you know that – and this isn't a political statement, but you just know that the effects of this, both from a health perspective and from an economic perspective, it's not – it's not equal. And, you know, there was to that point, Cynthia Coons on the Bloomberg Terminal reporting today with the headline, Black Hispanic New Yorkers are dying at high rates of COVID-19. Black and Hispanic New Yorkers are dying of COVID-19 at a higher rate than white New Yorkers, a trend that's much more pronounced for African-Americans living outside of New York City. New York released race-based data Wednesday amid mounting pressure for the government to give a better picture of how the virus is affecting minority communities throughout the U.S. I mean, Richard, when you hear that and the data now and other states having to follow suit, it's it's almost you want to – I, I want to speak you know, as a reporter. I mean, it's infuriating. It's infuriating to hear that underserved communities are being pummeled more from a health perspective and an economic perspective. Well, here's what, what you're seeing is this. Underserved communities are once again being underserved. And, it sh- and what yep. the coronavirus has done is that it has exasperated, exacerbated those particular problems in those communities. I had, I had a digital chat last night with four educators um, from all across the country in cities that were being hit hard by coronavirus, Detroit, Chicago, Los Angeles. And what I heard from those three educators was this. They have students where they say, yeah, we're going to do everything social distancing. We're going to be on these Zoom chats. But a lot of these students don't have computers or they only have one computer and three Ugh. students in a household. And so we're dealing with real micro level problems that we've got to be really honed in on and really focused on. If we think about reopening this economy and this economy doesn't have a bottom or it doesn't have a middle, this economy falls apart. I want to ask you about 2020. We only have like two minutes left, but I want to rip up the script for a second. As, as my good friend Tom Keen always does, because you just mentioned something from the education perspective. And for folks who don't know this, we don't really talk a lot about education policy on this program, but Richard is very well connected to progressive circles and education and teachers unions and whatnot. Uh, so, so he knows what he's talking about when he talks about the progressive perspective on education. But to that point, my friends over at DC Scores, for example, youth sports and how that's being impacted and how underserved communities, both rural and in cities, you think of it, they don't even have the opportunity to go outside and kick a ball around or to play basketball. I mean, it is, you think of that and it just completely breaks your heart. When I hear that the NBA is considering having a horse game, you know, I don't want to see that. I want to see professional athletes Instagram living or going on social media platforms to play with kids virtually to give them maybe some hope. So, you know, there's that. That's my soapbox. That's just a really soapbox, Richard, for the day. Let me ask you about 2020. How is Joe Biden going to win over Bernie Sanders voters? Because there is some tepid back and forth now that he's now that Bernie Sanders is out. Oh, listen, I think that's going to be that's that's a challenge for the Biden campaign moving into this next sort of lane is how can they win over and woo over Bernie supporters? And I think part of that is going to be by having the the vice president going to have some going to have to have some real conversations with some folks who are big in the Bernie camp. But beyond that, I think what you're going to see the vice president do, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, start to think about, here's what our cabinet should look like. Here's what a unity government should look like. Because I think that is the response or the note that you're going to see the vice president take. That in this coronavirus period, now more than ever, we right. need a divisive government. We don't need a government where the president's attacking journalists. 
Yeah. We need a government that is that is bipartisan, that is working together. Yeah. Both Democrats and Republicans are signing ceremonies. I hear you. The list goes on and on. All right, Richard Fowler, <laughs> Democratic strategist, got to leave it there. Thanks for calling in, my friend. Stay healthy. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. President Trump, Vice President Pence, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, they're all going to give the daily coronavirus task force briefing set to begin in just under a half hour, 6 p.m. Eastern New York time. You can listen to that. In, you can listen to that interview. You can listen to that press conference right here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. We have Richard Fowler, who has returned. Okay, so let's pivot. I didn't go anywhere. I was right here the whole I time. appreciate that, Richard, because that would have been a little awkward if I had to fill 10 minutes of air by myself. <laughs> Not even Kevin really can talk that much. Radio, radio via coronavirus. <laughs> uh, well, listen, let me ask you this. What are you hearing, I mean, in terms of opening re- re- parts of the economy? Listen, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, the interesting thing about it is, I mean, part of the economy is still functionally open. When you go to the grocery store, you go to big box stores all across the country, it's open. They're open, right? I mean, case in point, I went to go try to find Monopoly Antidote last night and could not find Monopoly at four different targets. Problems, right? Richard. I got to call you. <laughs> <laughs> we were so good until the last two minutes. Let's focus, Kevin. All right. So, but, but seriously, if you're Joe Biden, you've got to put out an economic plan about how you think parts of the economy should open. I agree. I agree. I do think, I think, and I think, but that, I think you cannot, the science has to come before the social science on this one. We've got to be listening to the doctors. We've got to be listening to the folks who do infectious disease. I don't control. know, though. Listen, 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 listen. And, and I, I got to interject here because 60,000 individuals losing their lives is horrific, is horrific. But, and there's no buts, but I mean, you, you play this out in a battleground state of Wisconsin, and you go to a rural community that is not going to be as negatively impacted as, let's say, New York City is going to be. Those voters want to get back to work. And, and what I'm just curious about from Dr. Fauci's perspective and Dr. Burks's perspective is why aren't they communicating this? This is not a th- – this virus it doesn't spread blanket all throughout the country. It, it travels like a storm. So why aren't they forecasting it like a storm and preparing ge- geographical regions for a potential shutdown versus just saying the entire country is shut down? Well, because I think this I, – I don't, I don't see this as a storm, Kevin. I mean, if you really look at the data, what you find is go to a, go to a place like Albany, Albany, Georgia, right, a place that's not on the map. Nobody's talking about it on the news. But they have a huge outbreak of COVID-19 there. So when we really think about opening up this economy and we really realize this, what this virus is teaching us of how interconnected we all are, one person who's asymptomatic, who's in New York City, who travels to, you pick any small town in America, and what you have is a COVID-19 outbreak in that small town. And that is what the scientists, that's what the virologists, that's what the infectious disease experts are saying. This is a storm, but this storm moves faster than we can predict it. So what? Is, so if take us inside a Biden world then, because because you know Joe Biden, he says that the he he said in an interview, I think it was yesterday, where he said that the economic damage from the coronavirus crisis could quote unquote eclipse the Great Depression. I mean that's 
horrifying. He said this to CNN. I think he said, quote, I think it's probably the biggest challenge in modern history. Quite frankly, I think it may not dwarf, but eclipse what FDR faced. I mean, that's here's here's the Democratic presumptive presidential nominee saying to the party, saying to swing voters, we are on the brink of another economic depression. Wow. But that is what we did. That is where we are, right? I mean, the truth of the matter is the longer we stay inside, the more this will hurt the economy. The other truth is once we get through this pandemic, and we're seeing, if you look at early signs from state, from states, from countries like South Korea, from countries like uh, um, Japan, who have done it, who sort of locked down immediately New Zealand, countries that have not locked down immediately to deal with this thing, once we get out of this, we will, the economy will turn right back on again. But in the meantime, in between time, and we'll, yes, there'll be some impact. We talked about last segment, rest of small businesses, restaurants, some property owners. But at the end of the day, I think we have to focus on the science and the health of the American people first, because that's the greatest. I hear you, but, but I got to push you. The people. I got to push you. You're not telling me what, 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 what's Biden going to do. How is he going to change his message? What's Biden going to say that's going to change the, how is he going to campaign on an economic vision forward in, in the next six months between now and November? Well, how? Well, for one, I, what you hear, what you're going to hear the vice president do is he's going to listen to the experts. You won't see a situation where a Dr. Fauci gets up in, on a stand and says, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And then a second later, Joe Biden saying, no, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. That's with some of the doublespeak that caused this disease to spread. What you're going to see is a very steady, measured leader talking to the American people about what the reality is. We've spent the past two months dealing with mirages of grandeur from this president, and I hate to be mean, but that's what it was. Oh, this is a hoax. It's not real. It'll clear up by Easter. I think one of the quotes was, by Easter, everybody will be in church. Tomorrow is Good Friday. We are in Easter weekend, and we are in the house, and we will be in the house for the foreseeable future. All right. I mean, now, I hear, I hear, I got to push back because, because listen, we don't have a panel, so it's not fair to just give one party a side. <laughs> No, I'm serious. We got like a minute and a half left. But but I'm hearing temperament, right? Everything you just said was Biden's going to have a better temperament and it's not a policy. And so I think the challenge based upon my reporting and conversations is Biden world is still trying to figure out precisely what policy to campaign on in a recovery message, as is Trump world. You know, but both sides still have not come out with an adequate And because we're still in the middle of this, but they haven't come out with an adequate uh, vision to sell to voters yet. I do want to get your take on this. Just one final point. Senator Elizabeth Warren calling for a national voting overhaul. Did you see this, Richard? I did see that story. And so she wants it's a massive set of proposals uh, that that really would call for four billion dollars worth of new elections funding, 30 days of required early voting and a mail in ballot to be sent to every registered voter in the country. Why is she doing this? Well, I mean, I think she's doing it because we, we look, look what happened in Wisconsin this past Tuesday, where the, the, where the, where folks in their government, not the governor, but folks in their government and, and court and judges forced people to vote in a situation where the scientists have told us all to stay home. So we need, we really do need to have a real conversation in the country about what voting should look like. We're going to protect our democracy in a world where we have to deal with we can't be crowded and we can't be all crowded into one space. We're going to have to somehow limit human interaction physically. Then we're going to have to have a conversation about how we vote, which is a very archaic and old way of doing it. 
right? But beyond that, yeah. I mean, but, I, but, but I don't think we can go to technology because we've also seen glitches there. So a paper ballot that every voter gets in the mail, that's probably the easiest way to increase Democratic participation. It's the right. easiest way to increase civics. And it's also a way to ensure that those that are the most vulnerable who are likely have a, who have a new sense Richard. of hope for our senior citizens, our vulnerable communities, will have a chance to vote. Richard, yes or no, because we have 15 seconds and don't mess up the heart out. Are you cooking more or less in the middle of this pandemic? Am I doing working more? I am working more. No, I meant cooking. All right, you didn't even get it. I'm Kevin Cerulli. Have a good weekend. Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.